You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls. Andrew Forbes, Peter Barrichini, and Alex Hoffman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very solemn episode 83 of Sticks in the Six. And uh, boys, we're back after uh, yet another Game 7 first round exit by our beloved Maple Leafs. Um, before we get into the ho- the hockey talk, though, let's uh, let's throw it around the circle here. Um, Alex, how are you doing today? You know, I've been telling people every single time they ask me how I'm feeling after that loss, and there is literally no other answer besides I'm feeling fine but depressed at the same time. Like, it, every year it, it, it somehow gets harder but also easier at the same time. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I made peace early on in the series that the least losing in the first round was a very real possibility, and I didn't really get married to the idea of, oh, there's no way they can lose the series like I did last year. I, maybe it's because of that, but it's funny because I've been super, I've been super rational about it and I've been, you know, telling myself, Hey, this is like this, this year was this, this collapse as much as no one wants to admit it. It wasn't as bad as the one against Montreal, et cetera, all that. Um, and I've been trying to kind of be like the glass half full guy over this, but then at the same time yesterday, I found myself, I couldn't even, I, I didn't even want to leave my bed. <laughs> I was literally just, I was literally just laying in bed and then I, you know, I was sitting down and watching those those celebrations of Connor McDavid scoring in front of his home crowd in Game Seven, and Calgary oh, did the same later that night. And it's just like, you know, you know that that you know that clip from The Office where Michael Scott's like, "Oh, I love inside jokes. I'd love to be a part of one someday." <laughs> that's that's how I feel about watching other teams celebrate Game Seven wins in their own barn. Looks what amazing. A, Wish I could experience that. I wonder what a John Tavares Game Seven goal would be like. Oh yeah, I wonder. <laughs> We never got to see anything like that, did we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see the reactions on Andrew's face. Yeah, he gets it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get into my thoughts in a sec here. But, Peter, how are you doing so far this week? Um, yeah, it, it, it sucks. It really is because you heard the mentality of the team going into the game, and it sounded like they were prepared, and they were. It's just unfortunate outcomes, and yeah, we're going to get to it. But um, the good thing is the day after this, I didn't know that, you know, one of my favorite bands, Motionless and White, released a track, and it was one of the most heaviest songs I've heard in, like, years. So I had that to help me with the anger and frustration that was just holding up inside me right then and there. So thank, thank God for metal music, you know? I was going to say, what, what was that song that you posted? Oh, that 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 was a different that was a different motionless and white track. That was a different one that I didn't even notice, and it was a very very emotional one. And it's called Masterpiece, but it does kind of you know play into the mistakes of the Maple Leafs and the playoffs and everything like that. But yeah, it, it but all three. I'm just gonna say this: all my music takes, all three of the tracks that they've released, this is gonna be my album of the year right now for motionless and white. Well, I'll tell you, my wife and I sat sat there last night in the dark and listened to uh masterpiece after you posted it. So really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just it, music is always a good way to get through those emotions. Right. And I feel I, like you guys, oh. I am, I am more okay with this loss. I, mm-hmm. yeah. I kind of, I, I'm on the same page as Alex where I was like, we're going in against Tampa back to back. You know, there was part of me that thought, you know, fatigue could come into play. We talked about that in our predictions but I never really 
never really got too attached to the idea of moving on to the second round because I knew the team that we were playing and I knew John Cooper. You experience. also knew the team that we support. We, I also knew the team we support. Yeah. But I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. In, in Steve Dangle's most recent uh, L, LFR, oh. he did – you could see the emotion on his face. And he mm-hmm. said, you know, I don't regret supporting this team. And I don't no. regret believing in this team because it did make it a hell of a run. And yeah. the season we had – I mean, it's like I'm getting chills talking about it because the season we had was incredible. I mean, you talk about how many how many double digit goal scores did we have? Um, we saw the evolution of of Rasmus Sandin. We saw the the evolution of Timothy Lilligren. We got guys like Mark Giordano to come over, and, and and you know he's a guy that's been a stalwart his entire career. Jack Campbell had his ups and downs, but we saw him kind of regroup heading into the the last stretch of the season. Um. There was just so much to take away from this season. But he said one other thing in his video. He was like, if I had done anything different, if I had said, you know, I don't support this team, I don't think they're going to win in seven. I, you know, I'm not going to guarantee them winning in seven. People would still make fun of him. I mean, the Leafs could go on and win four straight series with four straight sweeps and somebody would still come back the tech on the hockey writers would still come back and say 1967 and it doesn't change anything the Leafs will forever be the most hated NHL franchise from other fan bases that's that's a guarantee it's not going to change um you know even teams that we don't see very often like let's say the Colorado avalanche for some reason, there's a Colorado avalanche fan out there. That's going to hate the Maple Leafs. That's just the way it is. And we, we, we live and we experience the Mecca of hockey. I mean, you look at Maple Leaf square and you see the people that are out there night in and night out. And there was nights where there was like in previous seasons where it was raining and you still saw these guys out there just supporting this franchise. That's what this is all about. And I hate to be, take away a silver lining from what is clearly yet another negative when it comes to the first round and this, this storyline that continues to progress. I mean, Owen 10 in, in, in series clinching games, like it's, it's hard to fathom what, what this team can do differently. It really is. But um, yeah, it, it was, it was tough. It was tough. It was tough to watch. Um, there was a piece of me. I said at game six, I said, if they don't, if they don't win this, they lose in game seven. I just, and I've said that the past two seasons because I just, I know what the mentality is going into game seven. I had people say, well, they're at home for game seven. That'll change it. It doesn't change the outcome. The thinking is there. And whether you want to be confident or not in this team, there is that, there is that little demon that's been haunting this franchise for so many years that they have to, they have to get past. This is a hurdle that they have to leap over before they're ever going to win a series. And um, I wanted to say, like, I, for me, I was I kind of went through the, the the five stages of of grief, right? Like, <laughs> honestly, like denial. You go into denial, right? Game six, game seven starts, puck drop happens. You know, we go down to Morgan Riley scores, and right away, I'm like, okay, this is, this is like, good. So, something's going to happen here. Like, this is it, right? Tavares scores. You know, I got angry when they called the whole penalty. Um, and, and and all of a sudden you were right back in it. Then then the anger comes and I you know I jump on Twitter after after the game and you know I'm I'm angry tweeting every every goddamn fan from another fan base that decides to throw something at me. 
And, uh, you know, but then you go all the way through all that. And now you're back, you're back at the acceptance that, Hey, you know what? October is going to come soon enough. We're going to be looking at this team. Yeah. There's going to be some changes made, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit here, but I'm going to be right back on, on the train, right? Like I'm going to yeah. be right back on it. I'm going to be wearing my Leafs Jersey when they make the playoffs in the first round against whoever they, they might be taking on. And that's just the way it is. That's, that's, yeah. that's what it, we talked about with John, John Derringer when he came on, it's, it's an illness. It really is yeah. an illness to be it a is. Leafs fan. <laughs> Dude, honestly. And like, I, I don't, I, I tried to refrain from getting into arguments with fellow fans about this because that's always been my rule of thumb, especially for <laughs> someone like me who in a way you could say that I've had it worse and I've also had it better than some yeah. fans. I haven't necessarily been around to see more suffering, but I also, you know, with, with the suffering that you guys maybe saw in like the mid nineties towards the late nineties, et cetera. Um, you've also got to see a couple of playoff runs that went beyond one round. You know, I've only been watching since 2005, but in, in that time, that's been what, 17, 18 years, with not even a single playoff series win. So I don't like to tell other fans how to feel because I, I understand that in the end, you know what, like we all wanted this team to do the same thing. We were all hoping for the same goal and everyone's going to deal with it differently, right? Like ever, some people are going to say, I'm never watching this team again, etc. Some people are, you know, going to be positive right from the beginning, like us and say, that's hey, a lie. Like, this isn't, yeah, well, that's, that's, what I was just get, that's what I was just getting at there too, Peter, is like, I'm not going to tell anyone how to feel, but at the same time, oh my God, man, the amount of fans that I was talking to who are saying, I'm not watching another game until they make the second round. I was you are full of shit. You're watching you're it. Full you're watching of it. shit. <laughs> because here's my here's my thinking too. Like even if you genuinely do believe that the regular season does not matter, nothing matters until game one of round two. And I agree with that too. Like I didn't get overly excited for any games during the regular season because I understand that you know, with, and we're seeing it now. None of it really matters because the Leafs didn't make it to the second round. I mean, obviously the the individual achievements, etc. They we're still celebrating them, but they're sort of, they're overshadowed by the fact now that the Leafs lost out in the first round. So that's the other part that I don't understand. It's like, it, I like you can go ahead and say the games don't matter, et cetera, until round two. I understand that fully, but even if the games don't matter, you're going to sit here and tell me that you are going to blatantly go out of your way to not watch hockey 82 nights a year. Like <laughs> you're going to be sitting there on a Tuesday night with nothing to do. And you're not going to watch the Leafs. You're not going to watch a Leaf game because nothing matters until the playoffs. I call bullshit on that. Like, I understand, fans, you want to air your grievances. You want to show the team I'm sticking it to the man. I'm, I'm not watching until they do anything meaningful, et cetera, et cetera. But you're telling me that if on a Tuesday night in January when the weather is absolute dog shit outside and the Leafs are playing Boston, you're not going to watch that game? You're not going to sit down and turn on the TV and watch the game? That's bullshit. I, I'm, that's bullshit. But anyways, I'm not telling I, – I, I haven't told these guys and, like, my buddies that who have been saying that. I haven't told it to their face because I don't want to create arguments. Like I said, we're all upset over the Leafs right now. Deal with it however you want. But if you say you're not watching games, shut the fuck up. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you are. You, you are. are watching games. You are. Stop it. We that's, all are. Stop hey, it. That's why we have this podcast. Exactly. Because, <laughs> because I, had a, I, I have a friend, and I, I love this guy. I really do. Burned a jersey last year, and I didn't say anything. Jeez, man. I didn't say yeah. anything. But I came on here and I talked to you guys about Jersey burners. Yeah. And yeah. that's what this is all about. This is this where, is where we, we air our to... grievances. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, you know, on the, on the note, Andrew, before we uh, circle back, I do want to mention um, on, the, on the topic of Steve Dangle, I got to say, 
I am I am a staunch Steve Dangle defender. You know, yeah. fans last year were saying that they were getting sick of him and Adam Wilde and all the SDPN guys because they were being pessimistic. And I was saying the whole time, you know what? Like, say what you want about Steve Dangle. If like this man has put twice the amount of effort into watching and supporting this team that any other Leaf fan has. Not only does he sit down and watch every game, instead of going to bed after every single game and sleeping it off and saying, oh, tomorrow's a new day, whatever, he goes and he records a video about it. And then up until recently, at least, he would edit the entire thing. He's on Sportsnet. He's, he does so many things that are tailored to the Leafs that I have always been a huge defender of his because it has to hurt him more than anybody else. But what I will say is that the instance where I have seen truly how talented he is and why he's so perfect at his job were the LFRs after game seven last year and this year when he just talked for half an hour straight. And you know what? I could probably sit here and talk for a half hour straight about the Leafs. We're going to do this right now. But to sit in your room by yourself, talk to a camera for 30 minutes about your favorite hockey team, not ever, you know, stumble, not ever, like, don't even, don't, like, don't ever lose your train of thought. He had shit to say for 30 minutes straight and didn't make a single cut. And in those two videos, that's when I really, you know, appreciated what, what Steve Dangle does in his craft, because I, you know, they do give us a lot of, they do give us a lot to talk about, but I don't, I don't know if I'd be able to do that. Well, and cre- credit to his wife for actually putting up with that as well. Yeah. Right? Like, I, mean, <laughs> I know, I know if I were to sit after a game and, and, and just spew as much as he does and, and like, all the credit to him as well. I like I've met Steve. He's a great guy. Um, you know, I, I, I worked his book signing and um, just so much to say and s- such an intelligent guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, credit to his wife for, for letting, <laughs> basically letting him do that as well. Cause that's, that's a lot of time and, and consumption of, of, of his, his family time that goes into that as well. So, I mean, um yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, the emotion that he had in that, the latest one was just like, you could see it in his eyes. Like it was just mm-hmm. like welling up. And, you know, I think uh, my wife was putting my, uh, my son to bed um, while game seven was finishing. And she, she said to me before she went upstairs, she said, um, you know, by the time I come out, the Leafs, uh, the Leafs uh, future will, or fate will be decided. And I looked at her and I was like, I think it's already decided. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she came down. And I think I was sitting in the dark watching the, watching the, what game was on after? I think it was the Edmonton game. And I was sitting there just mm-hmm. kind of like this, watching the Edmonton game. And uh, she, she was just like, that bad? I'm like, they lost. And that was it. That was, that was the extent of our conversation. You knew it. You just knew it. Because that's that what just- fate does. On this topic, can I just make a note to mention that this playoff run is the first that my girlfriend got to witness me being <laughs> and you're still like, together in, in my in my form. That's well, true love right there. Okay, here here here's That's the true thing, love though. right there. Here's the thing though. We only started dating a couple of months ago. So this no. it's not like she's been witnessing me do this for the past couple of years. I think she just doesn't know what she walked into. Because I, t- <laughs> I straight up told her, I was like, I'm going to be a head case for the next 48 hours. I said this before game six. I said, I'm going to be an emotional basket case for the next 48 hours. And the outcome of this series will probably impact my mood for the next four months. I hope you know that. She's like, okay. <laughs> Still hey, true love, know, man. You know what? If, <laughs> this is an early relationship test here, okay? There you go. I've been with my wife for 18 years now. And, uh, she's, she's, she's stuck with me through all my ups and downs with the Maple Leafs. So, I mean, yeah. 
if she's the one, she's the one. You'll know yeah, very quickly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't think I did anything to scare her off this time in particular. Maybe it's just because I'm so emotionally damaged and I, I wasn't ready to, I wasn't ready to fucking, you know, throw my fist through a wall or something like that. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how she is next year. Yeah. Speaking um, of emotion, I, I just want to chime in. Like we talk about this as like fans and you know staunch supporters of this team for so many years. I mean, Alex was recently um from 2005 but you and me for dating back god knows how many years before that we, we saw them like look dejected and very staunch and very somber last year post game this was a next level kind of emotion like this is the first time we ever saw any actual emotion from this team post game because they knew they were right there they knew they had it in them you hear, uh, like, I'm, I'm just going to say something, something that I pulled in, put it in my article that I posted recently. Mitch Marner said, we're getting sick and tired of feeling like this. John Tavares said, it's frustrating, hard to fathom. It stings, it hurts, it's disappointing. Matthews, we're right there. We're right there. We, we've, we've talked about asking ourselves, like, do the least, like, actually mean it? Do they really, you know, have the drive to succeed and, you know, make an impact? And do they really care? This was an instance where they actually cared. I'm not saying that they didn't care previously. They just didn't show it or say it properly or something like that. But this is the first time we saw any sort of emotion. Any t- They were holding back tears, Matthews and Marty, because they knew the amount of effort and work that they put in recently and how far they, they wanted to go. Their heart is set with this team. They want to make an impact. So if it's eating us up as fans, imagine, imagine what it's doing to them. It's tearing them up inside because they want to succeed. And even Matthew said, you know, we have the most passionate fan base They like, we, we want to do this for them. We just didn't, we just kind of like disappointed them in the sense that they didn't get the job done. But to hear that shows the commitment. And if this is what it takes to actually break that barrier of like any sort of, um, you know, hardship, demons that they face, whatever, I can't wait to see what this team is going to be like come September, October, because I think this is going to literally light a fire in them and say, you know what? We were literally this close to knocking off the Stanley Cup champs or back-to-back Stanley Cup champs. If that isn't enough motivation for you, I don't know what is. And I think they found it. I, I, again, I'm, I'm always optimistic. I say, oh, next year's a year, next year's a year. I honestly think next year is a year where things may get done. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the, the, uh, the photo that, of uh, Jack Campbell basically cry, crying on the shoulder of, of Jason Spezza and um, yeah, that's, that's the one that kind of got me. Cause I'm like, you know, yeah. like I've, you guys know, I've, I've always supported Spets. I think he's a, he's a class act. He's, he's a guy that goes out there and just grinds and he, he does, you know, he's the one that can motivate a team in the room and doesn't have to wear a letter to do so. And uh, you know, game I, 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 I game five, I truly believe that this, this is, was his last run with the Leafs, uh, whether he decides to stick, you know, play with another club or what what have you but um i just i i felt for him because i felt like they were right there they were on the cusp um we'll get into maybe a few things that went wrong in a couple minutes here but 
Um, the one thing that got me me through Game 7 here, uh, or the, the feels that came with Game 7, and I'm going to read this tweet to you guys that I read shortly after. Um, Kelsey Snow, the wife of uh, AGM uh, in Calgary, as the Flames were getting ready for their, their Game 7. And, and for those who don't know, Chris Snow's uh, diagnosis, it's uh, ALS, and they've been, they've been going through um, a lot over the past you know, couple years here um as he as his his body's slowly breaking down but he's he's fighting through every little bit of it and it's and it's crazy to follow their story so if you if you're not follow both of them on twitter they're what they what they share on a daily basis is so motivating um but kelsey wrote my little family has been playing game seven since june 2019 when chris snow was diagnosed with als game seven is stressful the outcome isn't in our control my advice to my fellow uh, Flames fans, deep breaths, drop your shoulders, enjoy the ride. And that kind of, I, I took that and I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? Perspective. As, as pissed off as I was at the, at the Justin Hall penalty, as pissed off as I was at the officiating throughout the series, it, you know, it was a ride. It was a hell of a ride. Mm-hmm. The, the emotions that were invested in this, in this series as fans, the emotions that is, Peter, you pointed out that were invested as, as players. I can only imagine um, what kind of ride it was for them. But for us, you know, I, I would re- like, I work late nights. I'd record the game. I'd still know the score and I'd come home and I'd watch the game because I wanted to see what was going on. Um, and uh, yeah, it just offers you a little bit of perspective in the fact that, you know, there, there are things that you can't control, unfortunately. And uh, as, as pissed off as we can be as fans sometimes at the, at the players and, and not getting the job done. I mean, you can criticize these guys all you want and how much they make and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, they went out there and, you know, look at, look at uh, Matthew's uh, hit numbers over the last four games of the series, like above five, every game, not one game in the regular season. Did he average five, five hits? So, I mean, take that for what you will. Marner was out there being a physical specimen as well. Um, and, you know, they, they went out there as a team. And, and for people to compare them to the, the, uh, the McDavid and winning in game seven and stepping up for his club against the Doughty-less, you know, LA Kings. I think if Doughty's in that series, we're talking about a different second round matchup with Calgary. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're talking about the Edmonton Oilers. I wish yeah. that happened. Uh, you know what? Okay, you know what? It's, it's funny that I say that because there's few scenarios where I'd want anything other than the Battle of Alberta in the second round. But oh man, could you imagine a second round playoff series with the beef between Makachuk and Drew Doughty? <laughs> oh, it would have been unbelievable. Oh, it would oh, unbelievable. I wish I could. I wish I could. There you go. That. I wish I could have seen it. Lucic back go. against the guys in his old room. Like it's just there's so many storylines there too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh-huh. yeah, I mean. I don't know if you guys had any more you wanted to talk about about regarding the uh, you know the Leafs playoff series. I mean, for me, my takeaways I guess in the series are one, Lilligren never should have come out. Uh, I think that was a major turning point for the Leafs. Uh, I think the officiating was was horrendous, but that's not just against the Leafs. I think it was horrendous on both sides, and I think it was horrendous throughout the playoffs and other series as well. You, I mean, we saw it in the the Rangers and Pittsburgh series as well. Um, and, uh, you know, JT was a little quiet in their early going, but he, he really did step up in the later going. And I'm, there's a part of me that wonders if maybe his spot on the second line might not be as secure as it once was. And, and that's, 
that's kind of what I'm going into the offseason looking at is, is those three points. And I think, I think the Leafs, they really have to look at, you know, the, the UFAs and RFAs that they have in their organization right now and, and, and really determine who they should bring back. And there's going to be some names that I think we see walk that, you know, maybe we weren't thinking about early in the season. Yeah. I mean, the last thing that I'll say about the series is that no, like there's a good chunk of the fan base, a good subsection of the fan base. That's never, ever going to accept this because it doesn't fit the narrative, but the Leafs are a very good hockey team that lost a seven game series. That was hard fought until the very end to another very good hockey team. And one that just won back-to-back Stanley cups. And listen, like, I'll tell you right now that after they lost to Montreal last year, I couldn't even look at the Leafs gear that I had in my room. Like I, I, I had no interest. I went out of my way to not wear any Leafs gear all summer, all summer long. I didn't wear any Leafs gear. Um, and I was, I was pissed off at the team for a long time up until the season started, because of course, by then I, I forgotten everything. And I was like, hell yeah, hockey's back, baby. Let's watch. But point is, I told myself all season long that if the Leafs lost in the first round again this year, I was holding them accountable no matter what. Um, you know, that you're not going to let them off the hook because no matter how you draw it up, no matter how you sugarcoat it, they lost for their sixth straight year in the first round or in whatever the first round would be, even if it wasn't a typical first round. Um, and I can honestly say that I've gone through all the reasons I could possibly be mad at this team for, and I can't, I can't be mad at their effort. I genuinely yeah. can't. It looks way worse than it is because it happened in the first round again, and it happened after it's such a damaging loss like the one against Montreal in 2021. And it, and obviously, you know, the narrative, like I said, around the Leafs about how they can't get out of the first round, it looks bad because of that. But, like, if we forget all of that and just look at the series itself with no bias coming from any side, I genuinely believe that that was probably some of the best hockey I've seen the Leafs play in the playoffs before. And they fought right until the very end. They scored three goals on Tampa Bay in every single game, except for the last one. And in my opinion, they scored two goals in that final game, but obviously the one didn't count. And that's another thing I'll touch on right there. I hate being the guy that blames officiating because, you know, you, in my opinion, if your team is really truly good enough, then you can find ways to get around the officiating and still win games. And we've seen the Leafs do that in the past. Having said that, I think that call on Justin Hall was a massive turning point in that game. I just, hundred percent. I've was. watched, I've watched that back. I've watched that playback a number of times, and sure, I guess you can say it was interference because Justin Hall was there and Sorelli ran into ran into him. But that's just it. Sorelli ran into him, and as far as I'm concerned, if Justin Hall's not there, Sorelli's not catching up to Tavares anyways. Mm-hmm. He was he was protecting the puck. We know how good Tavares is at, at uh, protecting the puck. And I don't know if Sorelli would have caught up to him. And listen, if you're going to call that, fine. But when you see Michael Bunting get hit into the boards from behind on the numbers and it doesn't get called, when you see William Nylander get get, get tripped on the power play and it doesn't get called, when you see Jake Muzzin get tripped leading up to that second Nick Paul goal and it doesn't get called, like we've talked about consistency so many times on this pod before, but more than anything else, it's just like, I can't stand it when the refs pick and choose when to call certain plays. So you can go out of your way. And it's funny because I can't help but think that every, cause you said Andrew, like the Leafs are the most hated team in the entire NHL. So obviously these fans that hate the Leafs are not going to be jumping to defend them. Like that, like that's, that's blatantly obvious, but 
I have reason to believe that if these fans watch that call happen on their team in the playoffs, they'd be writing up this, this essay on how the officiating room, the war room in Toronto, screw them over. They'd just be as pissed off. Absolutely they would. Any, mm-hmm. any fan of any hockey team would be pissed off watching that happen. So you can go ahead and say, yes, it was interference. Sure, it was interference. He, like, he, Justin Hall was in Sorelli's way. And first of all, Sorelli also bumped him, bumped him over too. So I, I'm not sure how yeah. Sorelli would have gotten I, the worst end of that. But I just, it, it's, just, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, everybody else thinks that it's only Leaf fans that are like angry at it because their team lost in the end. But if any other team had that happen to them in the playoffs, they'd be just as pissed off. And I'm not going to act like that call is the sole reason the Leafs aren't advancing to round two. But to say that, you know, oh, don't take a penalty and it won't happen. When it's a deal breaker. Ag- yeah, we've seen the most egregious stuff called and not called in that series. It's like, so, so what, like, what, when do you, how do you decide just what calls to pick and choose, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to add to that though, too. In game, game six, the Ross Colton interference on Morgan Riley on the, uh, was, on the, was uh, Ryan Alex Killorn jersey tug on Austin Matthews for like yeah. good 15, 20 seconds on the, right in on the, the referee's same, face. On the same McDonough goal. Yeah. Prior to the interference that was not called, mm-hmm. Mitch Marner's tripped along the boards as they're trying to get the puck out. I mean, I, I'm i with you, Alex, on saying that I'm not going to sit here and blame officiating because at the end of the day, it is a lazy excuse. Good teams will find ways to get past past officiating. You can't put yourself in a position you know, for officiating to determine the game. All, the, all those cliches come to mind, but – when it's in a like if, if it's a five two game and there's ten minutes left and you you miss a call, fine, so be it. These were all spots where it was like a two goal game, a one goal game, and it really changed the outcome of the game. The David Confi stick that put them down a man, forced oh. Kerfoot to be aggressive on the penalty kill, and then he takes one for high sticking. All of a sudden you're tied in game six. Like that is a game, that's a game changer. That's a game changer. You, there's there's no, we're not trying to make excuses. That's, that literally changed the outcome of the game. That gave them a two-man advantage, and they scored the tying goal. And then you have people coming back and saying, well, should have won it in six when you had the opportunity. You were up 3-2 in the series. We did. Should've, you should have defended when you had a 3-2 lead. Well, you can't defend when you're going down two men because you're forced to, to, to be aggressive on the penalty kill and try and kill time because you're down a man to, on a high stick call where, um, I like I don't even, I don't even remember the kid's name. Cal Foot. Cal Foot. Yeah. Decided to throw his head up in the air and, and act like he had just been shot in the neck. Like that is a game changer, and and to me, and I'll go back to your point earlier where you said you know people are saying they're done with the Leafs. I'm not done with the Leafs. I love I love the no. Leafs. I I'm a beloved Leaf fan. I mean, you can see the shit in the background here in my basement. I, I have leaf shit all over my basement. I am done with the NHL. I, I, I will not buy tickets to an NHL game until they figure something out with the, the, the officiating. Because this entire season, and I'm not talking about the Leafs. I'm talking about league-wide. This entire season has been absolute horseshit. What was called on Nikita Zadorov when he hit uh, Glenn Denning? Nothing. Crickets. Crickets. Nothing. And then, and and then after I, all, all the Twitter BS that went on after that, then the league decides, you know what, let's take a look at Nikita Zadorov's hit. 
And then did you, the best is their reaction or their reasoning to not suspend him. They're saying, even though there was significant head contact, we're not going to suspend him. Wouldn't, if there is significant head contact, that's all what, the proof you need to suspend someone. What, <laughs> what are we doing here? And I said this before when we talked about other suspensions. Like, what are we doing? Like, if there's significant head contact, shouldn't that be grounds for a suspension, intentional like, or not? I, like, like, I'm at the point now where if you hit the head, you hit the head, you're gone. When, when you know, somebody's legs go full Bambi underneath them and they, they crumble to the ground like the way Glenn Denning did, like, he was unconscious. He was yeah. unconscious coming down. That could have been... And, and not to say that wasn't bad as it was, that could have been way worse. Mm-hmm. He could have torn a ligament in his leg. He could have come face down on the ice. That could have been a thousand times worse. And this is a league that is apparently priding themselves on protecting their players and have done fuck all to protect their players. They've done fuck all to, to, to protect the integrity of the game. So, I, like, for me, I'll never be done with the Leafs. But when it comes Never. to Gary Bettman in the NHL, they need to go. I'm done. It's it, you know what? It's reached a point this season when, like, every time I go into a game, there is a certain part of me that's like, <clears throat> like, fuck, I, I, I almost don't want to watch this because, like, I know you know that you're there's going to be a shit call at some point or something's going to go uncalled. And you know what? It's not even just hockey, man. Like, umpires in Major League Baseball are horrible. Oh God. Umpires in Major League Baseball literally, they literally try to make the sport about themselves. NBA refs are terrible too. Like this seems like a, this seems like not even just a league wide issue. This seems like a sports wide issue. But yes, I'm not that, that, that's not to take away from NHL refs sucking at their jobs. I I agree with that. I, I, I've, it, it, this, this year I would say is the first that I've ever felt, you know, like, like there's a certain part where I'm just like, it's it's less enjoyable because you know there's going to be something stupid called or there's or the opposite something egregious that doesn't get called hmm. it's like game game changing calls that's my problem yeah. game change like i said if it's 10-1 and you miss a high stick who the fuck cares it's not going to change the game but consistency it. is everything and i'll say this in baseball i think they've forget the mound that the pitchers pitch from i think they've dug up a little hole behind the plate put us put a little stool in there and given the, the umpires a, a pedestal because they, they they fucking think this game's all about them now yeah it's not and i'm just gonna say this you know the fact that they say that you know game management this series was all about game management like they tipped it like they tipped the t- this the scales in one team's favor so much. I mean, Toronto got away with it a bit, but the amount of calls that Tampa Bay got away with was just absolutely incredible. And I'm just going to say this in game five, the goal that led to Tavares's um, goal that went off the skate before then Steven Samkos tripped up Austin Matthews. Everyone was hooping and hollering for a call because his stick was right between his legs and the official did absolutely nothing. It was only when he started hearing the fans lay into him, that's when he raised his hand up and said, oh, yeah, that's a penalty. If you yeah, can't figure out what reaction, is a penalty, yeah. if you can't figure out what a penalty is, you should not be in this league at all. You should not have a job here in the AHL, OHL. You need to go back to being to whatever class you went to to become an official because that is an absolute joke. 
And I, you, you don't want to put like too much blame on them, but how can you not feel that way when they've made so many bad calls that what are you going to do anymore? And for Bettman to still stand by his officials and put out a memo saying that if you criticize the officiating, you're going to get fined. If I'm every player, coach, GM in the regular season playoffs, and I see a bad call, I'm calling it out. I'm none of, none of this hiding anymore. Be like, I don't want to comment on that. You know what? I'll take the fine. Yeah. I don't care I anymore. Would, I would, I would personally help fund Keith GoFundMe fine if he went out after any given game and just said the officiating across this league is full of fucking morons. Word for word, I want him to say that to the media and just eat the eat the fine. Whatever, just do yeah. it. You know what? And I've always thought that umpires, like not even just like, I don't know why I let off of umpires there, but I've always thought that officials in, yeah, officials in sports, <laughs> primarily NHL refs and MLB umps, I think that they should be just as, you know, subject to demotion if they're sucking at their jobs as players are. Yeah. Players aren't doing well in the NHL. They get sent down to the AHL. Like if, you, if you're in the NHL and you can't do your job, if you're making shit up to call, and you're choosing what to call and what not to call. And if, and if there's proof, because, you know, there might not be right now, but if the NHL wanted to, they could, they could develop a track record for certain officials. And you know what? There are charts out there that say, oh, this, this, this officials miss this percentage of calls or this official, you know, um, has this record in games, et cetera, et cetera. If you're in, in the NHL and you're an official and you're not doing your job well, fuck, go to the AHL. They should, that, like, I don't understand why that's not something that hasn't been implemented yet. Just if you're, if you can't, perform at a major league level just like the players then you get to go perform at a minor league level with the minor leaguers i i i think that i think mlb ump should be uh, subject to that i think i think fucking the angel hernandez's and the joe west even though he's retired oh god they should they should be sub they should go down to triple a you guys aren't making major league calls you should go and make minor league calls go down to the minors and do it with the players same with nhl refs go to the ahl if you're not if you're not calling calls correctly and if you still can't figure it out then fucking get canned like they deserve you're, to, you're like, there to, you're you're there to do a job. It's like any exactly. other it's yeah. like any other job. You get written up three times, you're gone. You can't do your job. You you're not. Why why are you, why are we paying you? And and I, I'm glad you actually you pointed that out because there's a great uh, Twitter account, and I'll have to I'll have to bring this on to the next pod because I I can't think of it right now. But they they look at strike calls for for yes. their home plate umps. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they I, call, they show like who had the worst call of the night, how many inches off the plate it was. It, it's actually fantastic. It is. Um, it. And and I'm glad you you said Angel Hernandez because I'm pretty sure he's by far the worst of them all right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think one other thing that would be ideal for for the NHL and may, maybe not just the NHL but like all sports in general as we've been talking about is that. You want to talk about accountability. Why not have these guys do a post-game press conference? Yeah. You know, bring video. Ask them, why did you make this call? Have them answer those questions. And, and, and this goes for people that don't even think that there's an issue with officiating. You still get an, a clear answer on why certain things were called and, and allows people to better understand the rules. I mean, that, to me, that's, that's the only answer because you, then you don't have the issues like the Tim Peels. You don't have the issues like what we saw in the Leafs in the Leafs first round this year. Um, and, and all of a sudden you've got answers as to, you know, what the hell's going on here. But I mean, that's, like I said, that's a problem that's been kind of going on for, for a long time when it comes to officiating in sports. And it just, it, it, it was so prominent this first round. I, 
we we had to talk about it a little bit. Um, with that said, boys, the Leafs going into the off season. <coughs> excuse me. Um, a lot of a lot of a lot of things to figure out, and we all saw kind of what uh, what Elliot Friedman said this morning on on uh, a radio clip about you know Campbell's future with the Leafs, uh, Sandine and Lilligren. <coughs> Excuse me, um, Peter. What are your thoughts on on what's what's next for the Maple Leafs? <sighs> This is this is really tough because on one hand you want to run it back with this group based on the you know effort and play that they had against you know a really tough opponent. I mean, you look back to the last four years, you could just if any time you wanted to make a change, it would have been those four years. The fact that they still went with this group, knowing that they had a chance to go and make an impact, they stood by it, and now they're gonna. I would hope they would try and do it again. But, you know, you, you mentioned the radio hit. E- even on, on the 32 podcast, Friedman mentioned, you know, is this the summer where Dubas goes Masai Ujiri and have a summer of Kawhi and make a move to try and get his team on the right track? Because, yeah, they played well, but a loss is a loss, and you still have no success. So if you try to make a big splash like that, I mean, who, who are you going to try and move? You're, you're not moving Austin Matthews. He's basically the one untouchable. You could throw Mitch Marner in there because to try and move 10.9 million is tough. John Tavares has a no movement clause. I mean, you don't want to say this because of the season that he had, but you look at William Nylander as, you know, cheap contract as someone you could get a good return for. But then again, he had a great season. Why do you want him? Would you really want to mess with that? And if, if, he's got a tough decision to make. I don't want to be in Kyle Dubas' shoes at this point because you saw what they were able to do as a group. Yeah, they didn't get it done, but it's still there. But this is a business. This is a market where you want to have success, and they haven't had that. And you're going to lose a good number of players because of RFA or UFA situation. And for me, I think the most important thing is you try to move on from you know, Kerfoot's contract, 3.5 million. You try to move on from Justin Hall. You try to move on from Peter Morazic. If you could move all of those, that frees up a lot of opportunities because heading into next season, they have 7.8 million in cap space. And let's not forget that 1.2 million for Phil Kessel is coming off the books. So you have, if you're able to move that, you have a lot of space. What he tries to do, I think maybe you try to bring in a top four. You try to fill something out in that top six and try and get more energetic. Maybe look at that in free agency because there are some names that I'm looking at. Like, you know, don't want to say this because he just eliminated us, but Andre Pallada on the Lightning. Andrew Cobb, the least were linked to him at the deadline. Um, Riley Smith. I mean, there are options either for a trade or free agency. And I don't want to be in Dubas' shoes at this point, like I said before, because it's going to be really tough, but he's going to have to make some tough decisions. Alex, uh, Labushkin, Giordano, uh, Mikheyev, Engvall. I mean, just some of the names that, you know, Kyle Dubas is going to have to deal with heading into the offseason. Obviously, Jack Campbell's a, a prominent name as well, knowing very well what we have as goaltending backup. Um. Where do you go from here? What, what are the holes that the Leafs need to fix 
to to overcome this this first round exit? Well, I'm going to start off by saying something that'll probably piss off every single Leafs fan over the age of 60, and um, you know, it'll probably piss off some other fans too. But if the <laughs> Leafs trade anyone in their core four or they fire key for fire fire Kyle Dubas, yeah. they're making a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, and I want to bring up a point from from that dangle LFR following uh, game seven this year uh, that he, he made a really good point. I'm going to mention this in my article tomorrow. Cause I'm going to have an article going out on this as well and prepare to get yelled at by a lot of people, but <laughs> sorry, it's just my opinion. Um, if you took last year's game seven loss and this year's game seven loss and swap them. So the Leafs go out in that hard fought series against Montreal uh, sorry, the Leafs go out in that hard-fought Game 7 against Montreal and lose that way, and then they take that Game 7 against Montreal and put it this year where it's just everybody shows up, they're timid, they're afraid to do anything, and they just shit the bed in every single way possible. Absolutely, you go scorched earth at that point. You trade you, you trade a Marner, you trade a Nylander, you try and trade Tavares, you fire the coach, fire the GM, whatever. You, you go scorched earth and you, you, you fuck everything up. But not after that series and not after that loss. Yeah. I don't, I, I honest to God, I fail to see any scenario in which trading a core player or firing Keith or firing Dubas makes any sense at all. Like, I, I don't understand, especially when you look at the Atlantic division and how much of a dogfight it is already with Toronto, Boston, Tampa Bay, and Florida all finishing in the top 10. The Leafs finished, what what was it, like fourth or fifth in the entire league, and they had to play Tampa Bay in the first Mm -hmm. round. Like, the Atlantic division is ridiculously good. And not only do you have those four teams, I think Detroit's probably only one or two years removed from being a playoff team. Um, I think Buffalo's not too far behind them, honestly, with the way they played at the end of the year. And then Montreal and Ottawa, you know, they're rebuilding. Like, this team is not going – or, sorry, this division is not going to – have half lottery teams, half playoff teams forever. You're going you're gonna to have a very competitive division. And when you're considering trades to make to improve this team, you got to consider the future as well. And I honestly don't see how the Leafs improve by trading somebody in their core or trading – or sorry, or firing a coach or firing a GM. Like, sure, you could say trade Nylander. He's, he, you know, his value's at an all-time high right now. He's just kicking him off an 80-point season, a 34-goal season. And – he's making 6.9 million. So yeah, his value is high right now, but if you trade him, what are you going to get in return for him? That makes it worth it and makes it like legitimately improves the lease. That's what I don't understand. So I'm going to get, I just wanted to get that out of the way first and foremost, after that series and the way that series played out, you're not trading anyone in the core and you're not trading do or sorry, not fire. I fuck. I've almost said that like five times. You're not firing (laughs) Dubas or firing or firing Keith. And Luckily, based on the way that that Elliot Friedman spot on the fan this morning or yesterday morning, whatever went, um, it doesn't sound like Dubas is going to be losing his job, which is good because the way he was talking after last year's Game 7 loss, he made it sound like he's willing to bet his job on and that this would be his last chance. Um, I think Dubas has done just about everything he can to make this a good team, and at this point, the, the losses aren't on him. So now, having said all that and having gotten that out of the way, um, I think the... Uh, I'd like to see another impact forward in the top six. Um, I think that obviously Michael Bunting was amazing this year. I I don't think you're changing that first line. And if you're keeping Tavares and you're keeping William Nylander, um, I think you got to have another guy in the top six. You can, you you know, you can rely on to make a true impact and not to, and you know, not taking anything away from Alex Kerfoot because he did have a career year. He had over 50 points for the first time in his career. 
I don't want him being our second line left winger next year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want, I don't want Ilya Mikheyev in that spot either. I like all these guys. I, I don't even want Andre Kasha there. Like I, I like all those players, but I think if you're going to be a contending team, you, you need to have another guy, like a guy like Riley Smith, like you said, Peter, in the top six, or uh, like a Jonathan Marcheseau type of player, or a, jeez, uh, uh, like I'm, I'm getting really greedy here, but say like Andrew a Travis Kopp. a Travis Konechny type. Yeah. Like somebody like that in the top six, I would love to see. Um, obviously, a little bit of tinkering in the bottom six as well. I think, uh, you know, as good as the Leafs' depth was all year, I would say outside of David Camp, their bottom six really did not do that much in the playoffs this year. Ilya Mikheyev, yeah, he scored his two um, he scored his two empty netters or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, Pierre Engvall got an assist here and there. Uh, Colin Blackwell, I think he made an impact in other ways, even though he was quiet on the score sheet with the exception of his one goal in game three. Um I think that I, I I think that you just got to do a little bit of retooling down there. Ilya Mikheyev, as much as I love him, I've been a, I've been a Cobra fan since day one. I vouched for the Leafs to keep him. I advocated for, um, I ad, sorry, I advocated for the Leafs to keep him. I wanted him to stay in a Leafs jersey even after that trade request. But you know, at this point, he scored twenty goals. He's going to get a, a, an offer for four million or something somewhere else. I don't want the Leafs to pay that. Um, Andre Kasha, as much as I love Kasha as a player, and I said this on Twitter earlier today, he's a, you know, he's a buzzsaw. And after watching him play, um, you can't really fault him for having poor durability because you see the way he plays every shift. He's willing to throw his body on the line at any given point. So it's not a surprise to me that he's like that. Um, Having said that, he's an RFA this year. And the Leafs could get a draft pick for him, which they're kind of hurting for right now. Not, not beyond this year, but this year, especially they're, they only have the three picks. Um, and it's like, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd be happy to bring on Kasha back, but if you do, are you going to get more than 40 games out of him? Like that's the other part too. And I think maybe my take on this would be a little bit different if he, if he showed up in the playoffs, but he really did not have that good of a playoffs. And that could be, that could be attributed to the, um, to the, uh, the his most recent injury as well. Like he he really did just come back in time for the playoffs, so um, that could definitely help. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, there. I think, like you said, Peter Dubas does have a lot of decisions to make. Uh, I think Jack Campbell is going to be a big one as well. And I, I just want to take a second to point out that I think that uh, the guy who was who was tweeting that thread about sports about uh, what Elliot Friedman said on the fan. Um, I appreciate that he did that because I think a lot of the fans already are like, you know, some people don't want to hear from the media, but personally, I like, I like hearing rumors like that. It just gives us shit to talk about. Right. Um, having said that, I think that the, the Campbell point of that was a little misleading. I think that that offer that they gave him the 2.5 from what I understand, I'm pretty sure that was, that happened months ago. Like the Leafs didn't come out and get offer Campbell 2.5 million immediately after. Right losing to yeah, Tampa no, that, in game that wouldn't quite make any sense. So, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to, you know, commit to the idea of Campbell moving on yet. I I'd like to see how that whole, how his discussion, uh, contract discussion plays out. Having said that, if he does come out and he wants a long-term deal in the ballpark of five, $6 million, I don't want to give that to him as much as I love Jack Campbell. And as much as I think that he, I don't think he's as unproven as some other people might think. I think that he's, you know, he's done well, all things considered in his time as the Toronto Maple Leafs starter um, for a guy that, has only been in that starter role for give or take 60, 70 games in total. I don't feel comfortable committing that kind of money to him. 
especially when but at, at the same time if if 2.5 is still the least highest offer that is a bit of an insult considering a peter morazic's making um so i guess that's where that's where i'm leaving it i mean i i don't think there's too many big changes to make besides you know hopefully adding an impact top six forward maybe retooling the bottom six a little bit um the defense, in terms of the defense, I'd love to see Geo back on on a Spezza type of contract, but at the same time, I don't know um, how you bring him in without moving Jake Muzzin. So there is a little bit of subtraction by addition right there, um, because if you if you keep the both of them, then where's Rasmus Sandin going to play? Where's Lilligren going to play? Etc. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess I, I guess that's all I have to say on changes to make. I wouldn't I wouldn't touch the core. I wouldn't touch brass. I wouldn't. Uh, um, I wouldn't do anything drastic to blow this team up. I think it's, I think for the most part, you got to run it back with as, as similar to this group as you can. Um, obviously improve where you can upgrade where you can, but this, this type of loss is not one to justify going scorched, scorched earth for, I think, uh, I think you got to just, you got to just believe in the group you have. And as much as fans are tired of hearing about that six years later, I mean, what else are you gonna? What else are you gonna do? Like, what what improvement could the Leafs make right now that would guarantee them a spot in the second round? We don't know. We don't know. So, yeah, I was just know, gonna add in quickly. There's also, you know, do you promote from within? I mean, Alex Steves had a phenomenal rookie season with the Marlies, scoring 23 goals in 58 games. Pontus Holberg looked good in his short stint in six games with four points. So do you try and move on from the debt that you have right now and try and replace that with them? Because they are starting to look very promising at this point as well. Yeah. I was going to say something similar. I think at this point with the, the cap, the way it is, you almost have to find answers from within the organization guys on entry level contracts, replacements that you can sign like a Mike, Michael Bunting for, you know, under a million, um, and you you do definitely do have to retool that bottom six. I, I don't think they did nearly enough in the playoffs, like you said, Alex. Um, unfortunately, you're going to see some guys go. I think, like I said, I think Spets is done with the, with the Leafs. Um, again, I, I saw Alex your face when I said, you know, maybe he does something with another team. I I don't. I, I'm in agreement. I I don't see him going anywhere. Um, but I mean, if you're the Leafs can you really bring him back and, and offer him another spot, another opportunity? I just don't see it. No, 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 no. I, the only reason I made that face is because I don't see him going to another No, team. absolutely. I think, yeah. I, I don't think, think if he the wants Leafs, to. No, I think if the, if, if the Leafs decide, listen, like, I think it's time that we, I, I don't think we can do this anymore. If they, they break up with him like that, I think he yeah. stays close to the organization and retires. Yeah. It's, it's not, he, it's not you. It's not you. It's us. I would yeah. break up more so with Kyle Clifford and Wayne Simmons than I will with Jason Spezza at this point, because mm-hmm. after what he did in game five to rally that team down to nothing, I would, I, I hope he stays for another two years at hey. the same contract hope. But if you can keep Spezza for another year and he puts up, you know, 30 points on, on the fourth line um, again. again, and you can fire Morazic's contract into the moon. You can fire Justin Hall off to, you know, Pluto. Um, all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's space to get yeah. what you need to get done and still maintain that, that relationship. Um, like for me, I think Spetsa wants to go one more time. I think he, I, I think he wants to get one more, one more crack at it before, you know, he calls it. Um, and, and maybe you, maybe you let him know like, Hey, look, the situation is you're going to probably play 40 games. You're probably going to sit the other 40. We'll give you, you know, 725 
and uh, you know, you're going to be the voice in the room. And, and that's kind of the agreement. Another part to mention about that too is I don't take Jason Spezza for the kind of guy to care about individual accomplishments more absolutely. than team accomplishments, yeah, but the absolutely. man's five points away from a thousand. Yeah, like, yeah. come on. You yeah, gotta you gotta let him hit that. You, you gotta, gotta yeah. let him hit it. Absolutely. Even if even if you sign him for the first even if you know he sits out the first half of the season and the Leafs sign him like like around the trade deadline and you just you play him as many games as you can and let him get those five points. I think you got to give him a chance to get those five points. Hey, give, give him a bonus and say, Hey, if you hit a thousand twenty five, you get like an extra a hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. kidding. Make, make him make <laughs> him get turn the 30 it, points. He would, he would turn it down though. He wouldn't, he doesn't want that extra yeah. money. That's not yeah. awesome. That's it. No. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think when it comes to, to Jack Campbell, I I'm on the same page as you, Alex, I think, you know, I, I love Soupy. I got his. I, I have his jersey up on my wall. So do I. Do I? No, not on my wall. <laughs> it's behind. It's behind me. It's somewhere. Oh, hold on. It was on the floor. No, that angry after game six. I was. About, I was about to say it. That was on the floor. That's no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. If anybody, if anybody, Spetzer. I mean, uh, Campbell's the only jersey I'm not disrespecting because I wore. I wore that jersey during game five. So. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. No, he's, uh, I, I like, I would love to see him back. He's, he's, the, and, and that's why that, that, tw- that thread that was tweeted out, like, you know, it's, there's some people saying that he's going to test free agency and maybe he does, but I, I don't think he's the guy that comes out and says, you offered me 2.5. I'm testing free agency. That's just no. not, that's not Jack no. Campbell, right? Like we've seen this guy. He's, he's, he wants to be a part of this franchise. I think he wants to be a part of this group and, um, yeah, I think that's going to be that's going to be one of the focal points yeah. for Dubis going into this off season. But a final note for goaltending, like I, I was I was talking with Alex earlier about that thread before. This market is for goaltending is bare, especially if you're trying to add through free agency. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury, despite himself being good, he's not the same Mark Andre Fleury that we've seen in the past, and he's 37. Darcy Kemper is probably going to resign with Colorado. Your best option at this point, if you're looking for starters, Jonas Corposalo. Miko Koskinen is not a starter. Thomas Grice isn't. Georgiev isn't. I mean, what's going to happen with Braden Holpe? He's been injured for quite some time. You have no choice. And if I and even if they did offer him 2.5 and Campbell's camp wants five to six, I would offer him, I'd meet him in the middle, 4.5 over four, over four or five years. That to me, I think would be fair. Considering the season that he had, he was also a hot start, did struggle at times, bounced back. But you know what? He's a starter, but he's not there at, at peak starter money. If you give him that 4.5 and you move on from the Morazic, Kerfoot, Hall contract, there's your money allocated to Jack Campbell. And even if you want to go five, give him five because he deserves it. Five, but um, I don't know if I'd do it long no, I I, yeah. I think it would, yeah. I, I think for five million, I'd give him maybe two years, maybe two years, three yeah. years max, but yeah. no no more than three. Yeah, I think I I think three years at four four point five is kind of what I'm looking at. Um, make him you know make him earn it. I'm all for short contracts for every player. I like I don't like these eight year deals because by the time they're done, like they're scoring forty points and you're paying them. Especially for a goalie. Especially for a goalie. Uh, yeah. Especially for a goalie who's had had you know, the struggles over his career that he has. And, and we saw a little bit of that this year, whether it was an injury or not. 
Um, so like make him go out there and earn it. And that, and that's, that's what you want to do. Um, yeah. but I love, I love sports. Could you imagine Forbes <clears throat> if like, if there were just like three random dudes that you had never met before, just discussing your future salary on a podcast. Oh yeah. Like, oh God. <laughs> all right. <laughs> let's talk away. about, <laughs> tell me what I'm worth. <laughs> I know. Like I am like tell the armchair GMs what I'm worth. Kind of thing. obviously the, like, there's a reason we're doing this, but at the same time, it is funny to look at other contests. Yeah. Just, like, yeah. Three random dudes <laughs> in different parts of Ontario <laughs> discussing what Jack Campbell's worth. Hey, <laughs> we're all in agreement that we want to keep them. So exactly. that, exactly. like, absolutely. I mean, how, how, how can you get rid of that positivity, man? Like I've never seen someone more positive <laughs> since James Reimer. Something about those goaltenders and those big smiles, man. Yeah. Uh, Red lobster, you know, all that kind of shit, but. Oh. <clears throat> Red um, lobster dinners for days. Yeah. Speaking of signings, the Leafs also went out and signed Topi Niemela and Ronnie Hervinen uh, to entry level contracts. Uh, this was kind of, a no doubter. I think we all three of us can agree that we saw this coming. Um, Alex, anything you wanted to throw on those two uh, those two entry level contracts? Well, um, I think that'll they'll, they'll be super exciting to watch on the Marlies first and foremost. But oh my god, more than anything, man, I want to see Toby Nemo get some get some minutes in with the Marlies. Oh, yeah, yes. oh, I would I would go to Marlies games regularly just to see him play. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would I, I really do want to see that. I think I, I think Nemo. And you know what? Before the trade deadline, I saw some I saw some tweets and stuff from, um, uh, from from people who were you know kind of around the team and stuff, and like you know people speculating and shit. And I saw some people say, "Don't be surprised when the Leafs sell high on Topi Nimala." And there's a part of me where it's like, okay, like I could I, I guess if it, if there's a real deal out there that that will benefit the Leafs right now, and it has to take Topi Nimala, then. Then sure, like if it was for like a Jacob Chikrin, for example, then it's like, okay, can kind of see, yeah, kind of see why that would work. But at the same time, I was like anybody else but Nimala. I told the mm-hmm. to trade Topi Nimala. The points that the points that he was putting up in Finland's top league this year. I, I remember some people like one of my buddies looked at his stats for the first time and said, "Shit, I thought that guy was a winger based on the way he was producing." And this is also a guy who the Leafs drafted because of his defensive awareness. They didn't draft him for his offense. I think he had like seven points total in his first. Uh... Oh, geez. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought I froze again. I thought I, thought I froze <laughs> again. Oh, my God. I was about to say, fuck sakes, I got to do this again. But I, then I noticed, uh, I noticed I was fine once I saw Forbes' cat licking his <laughs> <licking> <laughs> Your cat, your cat just looked up right as I said that too. That's so funny. <laughs> um, anyways, um, yeah, the Leafs didn't draft Toby Nimala for for his offense. They they drafted him for his defensive awareness and his IQ for his age. So for this guy to come around and you know put up one of the best nineteen year old like seasons or twenty year old seasons or whatever for a defenseman in Finland, like I I want to see what this guy can do with the Marlies because I, I hot take I think that he'd be willing. I, I think he'd be deserving of a look with the Leafs as early as next year. Not in a full time role, but like to get into a game. I think he. I think you can see the Leafs. In, or better, I think you can see Namela in a game for the Leafs next year. Peter, what do you got? I think for like, if anything, both Namela and Hirvonen probably won't come over because I think their contract is still for one more season over in the Liga. If I'm not mistaken, I'm gonna have to double check on that. But if they, if and when they do come over. 
this is you got two more of your top prospects in the in the system in North America, um, getting acclimated to the surface and even learning the ins and outs of the developmental process for this organization. And the fact that we gave up Tyler Clevin or the pick for Tyler Clevin to take both Nimala and Hirvonen is a massive win because both players were like lights out at the world juniors lights out on their respective junior teams as Alex alluded to, especially with Nimala and the torch scoring pace that he was on. I mean, this is absolutely phenomenal. This is great. This is what we wanted to see. And now that they're going to be coming over very soon, I, I would like Nimala to add a bit more strength. He's only 160 pounds, but he does a great job at protecting the puck and doesn't, you know, get off balance as, as much as you would think based on his uh, size alone. But this, this is this is promising for him, for the Leafs organization. I, I, I just absolutely can't wait because, I mean, I, I even floated around possibly trading Ronnie Hirvonen as a prospect if there was a deal, but he's got a lot of upside. He's got a wicked shot. So the fact that you got your defense, one of your top defensive prospects and your top four uh, prospects coming over, good sign. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and we've, we've all talked about a little bit about building from within. And these are two guys that, you know, keep a close eye on because I think when they were picked teams, you know, fans were a little bit like, who, who are these guys? And then all of a sudden we see them at the world juniors, we see them, you know, work their way up. Uh, and, and, you know, we're seeing what, what the Leafs saw in these draft picks when they made them. So Keep an eye on them. Uh, now part of the Leaf organization. Uh, last Leaf topic before we get into a little bit of uh, around the league. Changing the guard when it comes to the captaincy of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Peter, I know you uh, you commented on this on Twitter. Um, <clears throat> is it time to take the C away from John Tavares and give it to Austin Matthews? Yeah, and just a little bit of context. Um... Michael, who goes by the handle, the Leafs IMO, who does a lot of great work for um, the Leafs Nation, um, posted this and he said, hot take, is time for the Leafs to transfer to captaincy from John Tavares to Austin Matthews. And this is a hot topic. I mean, you brought in Tavares to possibly give him the captaincy to lead the team. But at the same time, during this whole entire playoff series, I mean, Austin Matthews spoke like a captain before pregame and postgame, he spoke like a captain and especially with his comment about, you know, heading into game seven, you know, this is game seven. We got to put our balls on the line. The emotion that he showed after the loss, this is a guy that does care. This is the, and there's talks about, Hey, you want to keep him around for the long term. You want to try and resign him as soon as possible because they only have a two, three year window before Matthews hits free agency. Obviously, you want to have success, but I think if you want to try and make that point, you give them the captaincy. I don't think there was a changing of the guard in LA where Dustin Brown gave the captaincy to uh, Andre Kopitar, and there was no issue there. I think that because of the team and the mentality that they have, and they're so close with each other, if there was a changing of the guard from Tavares to Matthews, I absolutely would have no problem with it. It would suck because that's why Tavares is brought in. But at the same time, Matthews is the face of the franchise. He deserves it. He's in, and even from his very first game when he took the blame for the overtime goal after his four goal performance, 
he was already speaking like a captain then, and he's showing it even more so right now. <clears throat> I, I would have no problem with to make that decision if they do decide to do that. Alex, when John Tavares was first named the captain, there was some speculation in that offseason that maybe Matthews was on the list to, to become or to get the C. Uh, obviously, it had a small offseason issue as well mm-hmm. um, that uh, kind of deterred anybody from wanting him to, to be in that leadership role. But does this, how much does this play into this decision play into him sticking with the Leafs long term? Um, and, and is it the right decision knowing that you have Tavares signed for multi, a multi-year contract after this, after this season? Um, I'm going to be completely honest. I think the entire discussion of stripping John Tavares of the C is, is moot. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't even think it's really worth talking about to be completely honest. Um, and you know what? That's not, that's not enough on you guys for, for presenting <laughs> that topic to me. I'm not, I'll, I'll talk about it. But the reason I feel this way is because I ultimately think that as long as John Tavares has the respect of his teammates in the dressing room, I, I think he's going to be the C. And you know what? The fans can say who they think deserves the C all they want. The media can make their cases for who deserves the C. But all that matters to me and I think all that, mat- all that should matter to anybody is how the people in the dressing room and the people who play with the captain all day respect him and look at him. And as of right now, I still think Tavares I, – I, I'm not – and that's not to say that I think Tavares should be the, like, shouldn't be the captain or should be the captain. I think – I just think that I, it's a change that isn't going to happen unless Tavares willingly steps down and says, listen, I think Matthews deserves it right now. Because – He's yeah. got, he's had the experience with it. You know, you, you heard Matthew's quote when, uh, what I can't remember what game it was. It, it might, it might've been the game when game five, when Tavares scored his first goal, <clears throat> um, their number one, their, their quote to the media afterwards was John Tavares. That's our guy. He's our guy. And I don't know, like I, I obviously I can't read the situation in a dressing room solely based on quotes that, you know, reporters give and reporters tweet out after press conferences, but I just feel like that's not a change we're going to see made unless Tavares says, listen, I'm, I'm happy to take step down and give Matthews a chance to take the seat. And I, I also, to be completely honest, I don't see how Matthews really uses that as leverage. I don't know how badly he wants to be a captain. Like if he's got a great team surrounded and if he's got a great team and he's surrounded by a great team and he's, you know, what else, like, what else does Matthews need right now? Like, he's the number one center. I would say he's one playoff round removed from being unanimously, unanimously the best Leaf to ever play. 60 goal scorer. He's treated like a celebrity in Toronto. He's best friends with Justin fucking Bieber. Like, I genuinely don't think that there will be one instance where Matthews will be like, listen, I know you've, gave me, you've given me all this money. I know the fans love me. I know you're treating me like gold. But... I want the C or else I'm gone. I just, I don't see like, based on what I've seen from Austin Matthews, I don't see him saying something like that or, or really using that as leverage. But like I said, if, if Tavares ever decides to give up the C, I think Matthews would be a great fit. I honestly, I think he could have given the C to any of those three guys at the start of that 2020, uh, 2019, 2020 season. And I don't think I would have been upset if any of them got the C, but the fact that John Tavares has it right now, I think, I think the people in that dressing room are, are low. They look up to him and they see him as their leader. And uh, as long as it's that way for the players, then I'm more than okay. If the, if, if, if he stays captain. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think, um, 
at this point, I mean, down he knows too if he stays with this organization at, at some point he's wearing that C regardless. Yeah. Of, oh yeah, so, well, Tavares so, is only signed. He signed what in twenty more years. Yeah, he's got three, three more years. years on his yeah. deal. And if Matthews, yeah. I mean, if he wants to stick around, you already know that he's going to take the C when Tavares is done. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. um, I, I do agree with you on that. I, I don't think it's a conversation that needs to be had right now. Um, but, you know, at least offseason, we got to we gotta talk about something for the next <laughs> uh, couple months anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with that, boys, just quickly in, into NHL news, a couple of coach firings and uh, it's not Keith yet. So that's, that's good news. Barry Trotz out in New York. Uh, Uncle Lou doing his thing with the Islanders. Peter DeBoer out in Vegas. Jack Eichel doing his thing in Vegas. Um, any, uh, the, the only other thing, Pierre Maguire's out with, uh, with Ottawa as well. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're bound to hear some more of Pierre Maguire. Oh, yeah, no. going on, I'm sure, at some point. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's an absolute monster. He's an absolute monster. Yeah, Pierre Maguire, uh, folks. Um, Bufflin, Dustin, yeah, <laughs> Jesus, man, nothing will ever make me more uncomfortable than the conversation he had with Darren Titian when he said he when he said he's an announcer with a long stick. You seen? <laughs> do you remember that? Oh, I oh remember my, the one with Phil Kessel. Oh my God! If you, Peter, do you know the clip I'm talking about? Yep, I I, I okay. know the clip. Don't Andrew, worry. yeah, I am going to. <laughs> You know what? I'm sorry. I, I, like, I, this might thwart our plans a little bit, but Andrew, I'm sending you this video right now. I want you to watch it while we're on the pod because right, there is right. so much to laugh about in the video. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Give me one second. You guys can start up talking about another topic while I get this. I'm just going to chime in and say, like, he was hired before the 2021 draft, and they took Tyler Boucher 10th overall. I... I'm still baffled that he lasted that long after making that selection and even the picks that they made later on because Tyler Boucher should not have been a first-round pick at all. He's done nothing good for the organization, period. No. I mean, mean, he went from three points in 17 games with Boston University to being – to 14 points in 24 games with the Ottawa 67s. The Ottawa Senators – passed up on Cole Sillinger dominating Team Canada right now, Matthew Coronado, Sebastian Coza, Brandon Othman, Chaz Lucius, Jesper Wallstadt. Jesper Wallstadt, who just signed his contract, Fabian Lazell. Matthew Nyes, for fuck's sakes. Ma- Matthew Nyes, <laughs> Xavier Borgold. Those are, those, I would have, t- okay, granted, some of those like would have been like mid round picks. Wyatt Johnson, imagine 120 points. Centerman Ryan, 124 point centerman Ryan Johnson, 10th overall to the Ottawa Senators over Tyler Boucher. Uh, wow. Uh, wow. All right, Forbes, I sent you the video. I want you, when you watch it, try and hold it close to the mic so we can hear. All right. Here we go. Um, but he had mentioned Howie Gill's a defenseman with a long stick. Uh, is this a guy that's going to be traded, though? You're an announcer with a long stick from time to time. Yeah, big mouth, I guess. <laughs> Before the video ends, look at how close he's standing to Darren Titian. I was the other was my That was my first observation. Probably a little bit higher than that long stick as you like to talk about. That long stick as you like to talk about. 
that, that video is a classic every single time. Uh, oh my goodness. That was my first observation was he is standing ridiculously close, basically pressed against him. Uh, anyways, boys, uh, before we close it out here, let's just throw it over to our quick uh, round two predictions. I think, uh, I think Peter, you had the, the best record in the first round. It's six and two. I was mm-hmm. even four and four and Alex three and five. So and right five. there with me, right there with me, but under 500. Uh, under 500. If I'm the um, Montreal Canadiens, I could make a run to the Stanley cup final. So that's my, yeah, that's right. I wasn't, that's right. I wasn't as risky with the underdog picks. That's why. Although there were quite a few game seven. So I was like really banking on some of them to actually win to try and keep my, you know, record intact. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. But let's kick it off with uh, the Eastern Conference again. Uh, Gary Bettman's uh, dream matchup, the Florida, the Florida or the Battle of Florida. Uh, You got the Panthers, you got the Lightning. Peter, who you got? Um, Let me pull up my predictions here. Uh, I'm, you know what? I hate to say this. And it, it they they seem like they're going to be going on a tear because it just seems like fate. I'm going to pick Tampa Bay and seven. Um, you know that that hard fought series. I think it put a little bit in perspective where teams are going to be crying at them a little bit more and being in their face. So I mean, yeah, Florida definitely has a chance. They're the President's Cup trophy for a reason. They're both evenly matched, but I think if you go to goaltending, Andre Vasilevsky is light years ahead of Sergei Bobrovsky. And even so, the fact that Florida still just eat their way by, uh, I'm still not sold on Bobrovsky. Alex, what do you got? Um, I'm going to say Tampa Bay in six. Um, I think I think Florida in that series against Washington, as much as they came out on top, I think they were – I, they didn't really scare me too, too much based on what I saw out of that series. I mean, Carter Verhage went on an absolute tear. Jonathan Huberto did next to nothing in that series. Like I, uh, I just see, I, I see Tampa Bay sort of humbling Florida a little bit in the second round here. I think it'll, I think they'll be done in six games, close it out on their home ice and move on to the conference finals. I'm going to go against the grain here, Florida and seven. Um, I think no brain point in game one. Uh, we're not sure how long he's going to be out, but you never like a non-contact injury. Um, and uh, I, I think, you know, like you said, they were kind of quiet in, in the first round for uh, the Panthers were. And I think uh, round two is going to be a little bit different. There's a lot of hate between these teams. So I'm going to go Florida in seven. Um, jumping over to Carolina and New York. Alex, who you got? Um, I've got Carolina in in five for that one. I think New York, as much as, you know, that was a great series for them to pull out. Um, and I think they made a really, you know, a really great comeback against Pittsburgh, but sort of like the Tampa, Florida series. I think, I think Carolina is just way too well-rounded to, um, to really let Florida give an actual chance or have an actual chance to beat them. And I also think that Carolina was dominant against the Rangers in the regular season as well. So I feel like you're probably seeing them out in five games there. That's, that's going to be my prediction. Peter, what do you got? Uh, Carolina and six, um, aside from game three, where it was close in terms of possession numbers and metrics for shot attempts, the Pittsburgh Penguins or even game five, game five, sorry, the Pittsburgh Penguins were the dominant team in that series. And for the whole entire thing, Pittsburgh with shot attempts, 52.69%, the New York Rangers expected goals for percentage 
was 37.69%. And I know you, you know, you don't want to like, everyone's going to be like, oh, you're focusing in too much on analytics and stuff like that. That to me is still going to come back and bite them. They were relying hev- too heavily on Igor Shesterkin. Um, fantastic reason why, or probably the big reason why they were able to win that series. And for them to try and replicate that against the Carolina Hurricanes, who again had a tough outing against the Boston Bruins, but still showed they were able to still maintain dominance and be a factor when it matters most. Um, and my, my thing is they're going to, I would hope that because of Frederick Anderson's situation, hopefully he's able to come back in the series. Even so, anti Ranta was about, was strong as a in relief in relief performance. So that's gonna that's what's gonna come down to me. I think the New York Rangers are gonna be a little bit tired and even Shesterkin. So I'm gonna say Carolina in six. Yeah, I've got Carolina in six as well. I think Shesterkin looked more human than he has all season in that first round series. I think they're coming off a high, um, and. Uh, you know, I, I think Carolina Carolina didn't even really have to get their star players to really do a whole lot in that first round series against Boston. They still were able to shut down that top line, which has been one of the best lines in hockey for a while with Pasternak, yeah. Marshawn, and Bergeron. And uh, I mean, you you said you mentioned Frederick Anderson. I mean, if this guy comes back, all of a sudden you're talking about their starting goalie as well. So um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a I think a heavy hitting series, but I think it's going to be one where the Carolina is able to come out on top in six and, uh, you know, make it, make another run here. So um, over to the Western conference battle of Alberta, Edmonton, Calgary, which Canadian team advances. I will uh, I'll jump on this one first. Um, I've got Calgary in six. Uh, I just don't have enough faith in dry settle and, uh, and uh, McDavid. Um I know McDavid stepped it up in game seven to get his team to the, the final or to get his team to the second round, whatever. Um, I'm just not sold. I'm not sold on Mike Smith as a 40 year old in net. I'm not sold on that D with Cody CC and, and uh, Tyson Barry and um, Both Darn- game winning goal scorers, by the way. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And Darnell nurse. I mean, he, Darnell nurse, I love, but I, I think, you know, his grit and his, his fight is going to get him into some trouble a little bit. Uh, and, and, you know, this is not a Calgary team that you want to put on the power play. They've got a lot of high scoring options and, and uh, you've got Jakob Markstrom and net. So um, there's, there's another, another reason why I've got Calgary in six, Peter, what do you got? Uh, I got Calgary, but I'm going to say Calgary in five for mainly all the reasons that you basically said um, no, no faith in Mike Smith. They just, again they just eat their way by with the la kings and we we talked about it too before if there was drew dowdy in there it probably would have been a different situation so um i i I really got nothing else to add except for maybe the fact that johnny goudreau starting to get hot at the right time so the fact that that momentum is carrying over into this series reason why you know i i have calgary alex I'm going to say Calgary in seven games because I think that regardless of all the points that you guys just made about what will make Edmonton fall, I think that they're going to be motivated enough by this, by this battle of Alberta to at the very least make it a series. But at the same time, I still agree with the reasons you listed. I don't think that Calgary is going to lose Edmonton. I think they're, I think they're going to win the series. I just think it's going to take seven games. Well, it's going to be a hell of a series, but uh, jumping over to Colorado, St. Louis, none of us gave St. Louis any credit in that first round. Uh, they were able to get by Minnesota. 
Peter, who you got? Colorado, St. Louis. I have Colorado in six. I believe I said Colorado would sweep last year against St. Louis, and lo and behold, I believe that happened. And I never call a series perfectly, so I didn't want to say Colorado in a sweep again because I, this Blues team is very, is very resilient. They're tough. They're, they grind it out, and especially with the forwards and the uh, resurgence of uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. You got Jordan Cairo, David Perron's playing extremely well, um, Robert Thomas. The list goes on and on with this team. Um, I think they'll make it interesting, but the ha- but again, the way that Colorado just dominated the Nashville Predators, granted that they had their own situation without UC Soros, um, they, they didn't hold back. They went full throttle. And with Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, Mikko Rantanen, Nazem Kadri, you can't you can't go against that. You you just can't. And I'd be shocked if the, if there is a if there is an upset and St. Louis does win because Colorado is basically the favorite going into that. Alex, what do you got? <clears throat> He's saying St. Louis. St. Louis, yeah, I'll say uh. St. Louis. <laughs> and I'm only gonna say it because every year I feel like I I, I feel like I fall further and further out of touch with reality when it comes to my predictions as the rounds go on. I've said Colorado every year. I've said Colorado to the Stanley cup final actually. And I think when you, if you, if you look at my bracket, I think I did actually have Colorado making it to the, uh, to the conference finals at least. But as of right now, I I'm going to say St. Louis, St. Louis has a good combination of experience of reliable goaltending as of late and, uh, physicality and obviously skill. And, um, you know what? If the Leafs are going to continue their first round curse, why can't Colorado continue their second round curse? St. Louis and what do you, how many games? Oh shit. Yeah. How many games? Um, in that case, I'll say seven as well. Seven, seven games. All Actually, right. you know what? No, six games, six, games. six games. You six got games. it. Is that your final answer? Yes. It is. <laughs> I would love to go Colorado in five. I think, you know, seeing Nazem Kadri make it past the first round without getting suspended is a huge step in the right direction for this club. Darcy Kemper's played well. Um, uh, I think even Frank who stepped in for, for a game and, and played well as well. So, but uh, that line of McKinnon um, Landis Skog and rat is just unbelievable. You got Kel McCarr on the back end. Um, I've got Colorado in six. I'm going to give a little credit to St. Louis because I do think they're going to pick up two victories in this series. But uh, I think Colorado, ultimately, this is this is their year. If they're going to get it done, yeah. this is their year. They need to get it done now um, because you're slowly running out of time. And and eventually, you know, cap space is going to is going to be become an issue for Colorado as well. So um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where they go. But uh, I, I do say Colorado in six. So with that, gentlemen. Episode 83 is in the books. Anything else you guys wanted to add before we close it out here? Um, I'm going to be publishing my piece over the next few days after the locker clean out tomorrow. So I can hopefully grab some quotes um, on why the Leafs should not touch their core and shouldn't touch their brass and shouldn't make any major changes. So all I'm going to say is pray for my Facebook comment section on the hockey writers when, when that, when that article goes live. I'm going to have a lot of angry boomers from Port Perry, Ontario, getting mad at me. <laughs> and Peter, anything you wanted to add, throw out there? Well, I'm already getting comments about why by the Leafs deserved, you know, a better outcome than what they got. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, sure it, deserved it, is the right word. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm getting a lot of that. Uh, you know, the, only the winning team that deserves to win deserves to win. Well, yeah, well, whatever. My opinion. That's just um, your opinion. It's my opinion. Just, that's just your speak. Opi- that's that's your opinion, I guess. Yeah, just speaking from the heart. Sheldon Keith. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that that, that recently came out today. Um, I I've got you know one more thing in the works about possibly this being the summer of. Dubas's summer of Kawhi kind of thing. Like, is something big going to happen? We don't know. And if it does, who's going to be involved? Um, also, draft content is still coming out. Um, that's basically it on my end. Well, boys, um, I'm going to be working on a possible farewell piece for Jack Campbell with the recent news of... Uh, no, you're not. No, you're potentially not. <laughs> potentially him ending up elsewhere, but um continue to check out our draft content peter's doing a great job over at the hockey writers tons of profiles coming out we're going to keep pumping those out um alex just had one come out today so so definitely check that stuff out guys uh we are a go-to website for for draft content as we head into the 2022 nhl draft we got the world juniors coming up this summer so stay tuned for that as well so weird to say it's so weird to say. It is so <laughs> weird to say, but it's 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 great that we have hockey to cheer for again yeah. in the summer. Um, aside from that, thank you to everybody who's tuned in this season. Uh, we will we do have another two months to go before we shut it down for for our little hiatus. But um, just wanted to give everybody a shout out that's really tuned in this season. We've we've grown a lot. We've learned a lot. We continue to push boundaries a little bit, and we get some great guests on this show. And we look forward to hopefully getting one of those interviews out to you next week as well. So stay tuned for that. And um, yeah, episode 82 or 83 rather in the books uh, with that, you can follow Alex on Twitter at a Hobson media. You can follow Peter at P Barrichini, or you can follow me at Andrew G Forbes. Check out the podcast on Twitter at sticks in the six pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Find us on Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, wherever you download your uh, your content. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you follow. And uh, share our episodes if you feel up to it. If you think we're worthy, share it wherever you can. Uh, join us weekly for more of your favorite hockey talk throughout the offseason. Until next week, that's it for us.